Welcome everybody. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Um, Jesus traveled, wait, no, it doesn't work that way. Does it work that way? There we go. No class next week. Okay, no class next week. Tell your friends, tell your grandmothers, no class next week because I won't be around. Fair enough? Okay, all right. No holiday or anything, I'm just not going to be here. Okay, all right, let's continue. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. As we're starting this verse, um, this is uh, still pretty early in Jesus' ministry. I'm wondering what you would do if you had to touch on, I mean, he knows, he's not trying to discover where these places are. He knows where they are. But if you, had, if you wanted to cover all the villages in, say, how big is this area? Um, what's the county south of us? Watanwan? Is that right? Brown County, then Watanwan County, the next one down? I think that's right. Or, or, or go the, the other direction and go to Blue Earth or whatever it would be. If you wanted to cover two counties, what would be your method of covering the towns? And you're on foot, by the way. No, I'm just asking you your, your, your route. What's your, how do you, how would you cover all the towns? Would you, would you, would you have one town as your base and keep going out, out, out and back, out and back? It seems to me like that would waste a bunch of time. Like, I'm kind of wondering if he went up into an area and covered all them in kind of a windy, meandering path. And then, okay, that corner is done. And a little bit like the way that you wash a window. Uh, why did I look at Mark when I said that? I don't know. But, I, but you know, you, when you're, when you're or, or I don't know how many, oh, Sarah has, the way you wash, the way you clean a whiteboard. You know, you kind of have to do quadrants because otherwise it's too big and the, and the squirty stuff dries up. So you do it like a section, then you move over and do a section and you go down here and do a section and over here. Did I just say squirty stuff? You know, the liquid cleanser, whatever, I don't know, squirty stuff. Sound effects for the people at home. Um, so that, uh, that's what I imagine Jesus is doing. He's kind of moving. He does an area, then he does another area. It's like if he left New Ulm and went to, say, he was going to go to Sleepy Eye, what would he cover in between Sleepy Eye and New Ulm? Essex, right? And then beyond Sleepy Eye, he'd go over, all the way over to Springfield, probably. And then over there somewhere is that place where there's just a baseball field. Leavenworth? Lamberton. Right? And Leavenworth. Yeah. And stuff like that. And then, you know, and then kind of move over and, and, you know, get those places and so forth. And then move on. You know, okay, I've done that. Now I'm going to move on. And this, this phrase, traveled through all the towns and villages, teaching, uh, suggests not only a systematic journey, but it also reminds me that probably we're talking about systematic teaching as well. You know, because uh, if you're going to teach lessons, you're not going to be 
haphazardly jumping all over the place. You know, how, in, in our preaching, for example, uh, over the course of a year, what do we do? We cover the seasons of the church year primarily, right? In the festival half of the church year, which we're not in right now, what do we, what's the first season in the church year? Advent, talking about prophecies of the coming of Jesus. Those are important to remember. So we do that for four weeks and three Wednesdays. And then what's the little season that comes after that? Christmas, we talk about really the, the big doctrine there is the incarnation of Christ. And we don't get that Christmas Eve. When do we preach on the incarnation, the doctrine? It's Christmas Day. Obviously, you've never done worship planning. Um, so, yeah, it's, that, that's when we preach on John 1. That's Christmas Day. We move from that rapidly into Epiphany, which is all the manifestations of Jesus displaying his power, especially his miracles and a few other things. And those are important as well. And those, that kind of finishes the, the winter, actually. Um, and then late in the winter... We, right when the, the kind of the, the calendar begins to change, we have, you know, spring is on its way, so we move into Lent. And Lent is technically 40 days minus six Sundays. So it's because we, we don't count Sundays in Lent. Because Sunday is a celebration of Easter, so it doesn't count in Lent. So that's why it's Wednesday to Sunday. Um, so it's 46 days um, uh, and where we're talking about the, the, uh, the road to the cross, prophecies of the crucifixion, things Jesus did when he was subjected to persecution and so forth, and then the Holy Week especially. And there's way too much to preach on in, in, in that amount of time because that's in, in for example, in uh, John's gospel, that's half the gospel. You know, we never get to all of it. Um, and then following that very quickly is Easter, and then um, we have a, a little bit of, of this and that with things like, uh, uh, see it again? That's not really an actual, that's an incidental holiday, but it, it, it's also kind of new. They didn't used to do that, it was kind of a thing. But, uh, but that, that, that actually shows up during the Easter season. Um, but I'm thinking of like, uh, after Pentecost, there's Trinity, you know, and things like that. And then we're in the non-festival half where we are now, where we sort of talk about the rest of the gospel stories. But there is a kind of a systematic way of teaching. Jesus would just have maybe days. So he's got to get through lessons here. And what is the gospel of the kingdom and which he's backing up with healing every disease and so forth? Well, that I, I, I'm going to maintain that the gospel of the kingdom are these things. First of all, the requirements of holiness where, uh, you know, that's the question, how am I saved? What do I have to do? The answer is you don't have to do anything. It's going to be done for you. You can show your faith, but your faith, isn't, your faith is in Christ, and Christ is what gets us to heaven. Then from there, moving on to sin, grace, and salvation, important key teachings what exactly is sin let's check the definition of sin and see where i am in my life what what sins am i subject to and then grace which is outside of man's way of thinking about things uh just god's favor that we don't deserve 
um, many of our people who come into the church uh, from other denominations or no religion at all, they stumble on grace. What, what do you mean by grace? And they worry and work on that. And then salvation itself, how do you get to heaven? What is involved? What are all the things that are involved? Um, the kids in the children's devotion at 11 on Sunday did a great job with that one because they pointed not only to who Jesus is, but what Jesus did. And that really is the, that those are the two foundational things. What separates denominations of Christianity are basically all stem from those two facts or those two questions. Who exactly is Jesus? How do I get to heaven? And the differences that different church bodies have of answering those two questions really is the summary of why there are differences between different Christian denominations. Um, did, is, is Jesus fully God? Well, some churches teach that he's not. Well, now we have a world of difference, don't we? Um, is, uh, is Jesus, as the Calvinists will say, is he uh, God and man, but they're like glued together and you could pry them apart if you wanted to? And now in heaven, he doesn't necessarily have to be man anymore. He could just be God. Um, but what he has not assumed, he has not redeemed. And he tells us that he is still fully human, still in heaven, in the resurrection and the ascension. And the angels say he'll come back as we have seen him go. Not just the same manner, but in the same form and so forth. You will see Jesus in his human form in heaven. You'll know what color eyes he had and things like that. Um, but then on the other side of that, what did he do? Did he do enough for us? Uh, if the answer to that is he didn't do enough, then we've got to do something else. And then you get into all kinds of denominational differences with what do I have to do to fill up the rest of my salvation? Do I have to spend time in purgatory? Do I have to show a certain amount of good, good, good works? Do I have to do my good deed for the day? Uh, uh, should I ring a bell in front of grocery stores at Christmas time? All of these things are good works that other denominations do because they believe that Christ didn't do enough. Um, and, and there are other things. Then moving on from this, we have duties to God, the first table of the law, right? No other gods, don't misuse God's name, and remember the Sabbath day, worship God. So the first table of the law. Also falling under this is all false teaching, which really is an abuse, finally, of the second commandment, um, disguising false doctrine under the umbrella of godly or God-sounding language. You know, when somebody teaches false doctrine and still uses words like baptism and, or, or communion um, or righteousness and things like that. I mean, the Mormons use those words. Not a Christian group. The Jehovah's Witnesses use those terms. Not a Christian group. The United Church of Christ uses those terms. I wonder about the United Church of Christ. Are they Christian? Are they not? They're kind of right on the edge. If I had circles of Christianity radiating outward from Orthodox outward to is it Christian or not, they'd be the last ring. Not really sure. We're moving outside the circle almost there. Um, it's a dangerous 
place to be where you're just about out. Unitarians, not Christian at all. In fact, forbidding Christians from talking about Christianity. If a Christian should go into a Unitarian church, Unitarians like to say, we accept all denominations, but they will not permit talk about Christ. What is that? Well, that's the devil at his best. That's the devil showing you his finest china. That's what that is. Come on into my kitchen. This is my, this is my favorite dining room, the devil says. Then duties to one another, second table of the law. That Why is the fourth commandment? Uh, that's a poorly started question. Let me, let me, let me, let me back up. Um, do you understand that the fourth commandment takes the place of all other commandments for the child? And how is that so? Mark, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if I had grown up in the 50s, and I didn't, okay, I didn't, uh, I might have heard a bully say, it goes from God to me to you, okay? Because that's, that's often how it was expressed in those days. Um, and However, that's a valid diagram of authority in the fourth commandment. It goes from God to mom and dad to the child. Um, and so for the child, mom and dad stand in God's stead or God's place um, entirely. Then as they grow older, children begin to uh, discover other sins. You know, and puberty happens, they discover even more sins. They begin to uh, reach out with uh, their attitude uh, and, and begin to test boundaries and things like that. And then the rest of the second table of the law comes in with uh, um, stealing and sexual sins and bearing false witness and just the covetings and, uh, and so forth and, and murder um, and hurting one another in thought, word, and deed. Um, and so those things all kind of come in there in the, in the second table. <clears throat> and then again, with the, still with the gospel of the kingdom, the doctrine of sanctification, how do we show our faith with the things that we do? Um, sometimes expressed as doctrinal love, moral love, social love, different ways of showing our love for Christ with our love for uh, one another. Social love is an easy one to talk about. Moral love is the love that we owe to other people, whether we like them or not. You know, I didn't mean to stare at Brad there when I said that. I, Brad and I are old friends. I don't, I didn't, it's not, I didn't mean anything by it. Um, and then doctrinal love, if, uh, if somebody has a, a, a false idea about something in scripture, doctrinal love says I should correct that. That's part of my life of sanctification um, is making those corrections out of, out of love. And then finally, tests of fellowship, ethical and Christological. I apologize if the language is getting a little bit uh, uh, highfalutin uh, for you, but this is the way that the Apostle John talks about it in his letters. And... Uh, um, you know, when I'm thinking of, of church fellowship, which God wants us to do, uh, first of all, we don't declare fellowship or we shouldn't be able to declare fellowship with anybody. We should only be able to discover that we're in fellowship with other denominations. We 
talk about our faith together. We find out that maybe we have different language for different things, but we're talking about the same uh, doctrine, for example. Um, in, uh, I'll give you a, a one that hardly matters, but in our sister synod, the ELS, um, they have a different word for circuit pastor. Um, we, uh, uh, we have circuit pastors. Every eight congregations in the wells has a pastor who is the pastor to the pastors in that group. Um, anybody know who our circuit pastor is right now? I used to be. It's Pastor Beauvais. Yeah, he was after Pastor Henning stepped down from it, and then I was for a while, and now Pastor Beauvais is again. Um, so that's the circuit pastor. In the ELS, they have the same position, but they have a different word. And they call him, I believe, a circuit visitor. So it's different, different word, but same, basically the same task, same function. Um, do, do we have to have exactly the same language? No, as long as we understand what we mean, and as long as we haven't accepted a different word or take, adopted a different word for uh, like a sinful... Um, or, uh, or subversive reason for something like that, as if to mask our intentions in some way. You know, we don't want to make our church sound as if it's round pegs in uh, going into round holes over here where we actually have square pegs and so forth uh, uh, and that. But um, uh, tests of fellowship should end up with us discovering that we're in fellowship with people. Um, and should be a very happy, very delightful discovery. I'm not sure where we are right now, but I think we're right on the edge. Um, have you learned this in school along the way, Ezra? Are we, is the Wisconsin Synod now larger outside of the U.S. than it is inside the U.S.? I'm not sure of, of that uh, statistic, but I think we're coming to the point where there are going to be more people in our fellowship are outside of this country than there are inside of this country. Which, not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I don't even know how many seminaries we have. Um, partly because sometimes they kind of come and go, but I believe we have one uh, in, in, in uh, Mexico, in Hong Kong, in Zambia, not yet. Um, I think Japan has a seminary program. Um, that might be it, but I might be wrong. I'm not exactly sure. But, uh, and plus, plus ours. Um, that the seminaries that are not the one that's in Mequon, uh, by and large, do not offer a master's of divinity, which is what all of our stateside pastors have. Um, they offer a bachelor's of divinity. It gets them through the program faster and they can go out and serve right away. So there's a difference there. A lot of those guys, though, who study and who get their, uh, their, their, their degree, like in, in Zambia or in, um, is it Honshu? No, it's in Tokyo and in, in Japan and so forth. They will come over and get their master's later from our seminary. You know, many of those guys do, but they don't begin that way necessarily. Um, we have begun, I, I, I don't think this is official, but I think that we have begun talking about that kind of on the side. Like, could we offer that here in the U.S. also? 
a, a, a different program for some guys to, to get a Bachelor's of Divinity and get out in the field quicker um, rather than the Master's of Divinity. The, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that because would that give us kind of two classes of pastor? That's an odd thing. You know, I, I, I'm not sure about that. And, and, and like I said, it isn't official by any means. Nobody has said this on the synod level. It's just been a question that's been kind of bouncing around with some different people. So and I'm not sure how I feel about it. We need more pastors, but on the other hand, we can train. We should train. You know, I have some questions about how long it takes you to get through dogmatics and some other things like that. Because you should have gone through all of dogmatics. Um, uh, to, to, you know, because otherwise you haven't studied all the doctrines. And so that's an issue. And we need to get through all of dogmatics. And to make it through biblical interpretation, which is its own class, plus cover at least Galatians Ephesians, Romans, Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah generally takes three years, you know, um, and a vicar year. It, it, was, it is true that once upon a time the vicar year was optional. Not everybody took it, and some guys just didn't, and I think it's a good idea, though, because for one thing, you get to see a, con a church in, in operation for a year. You know, you get to see how, you're, how, a, how a pastor does Lent, how he does Advent, you know, how he does the summer preaching schedule, how he does catechism, you know, through, the, through a whole year and so forth. And those are, those, those are good things to see happening um, in, a, in a congregation. But there might, be, there, might be, there might be possibilities there. I also wanted to mention that this outline of what I think Christ's teaching was like systematically in these villages is based entirely on the outlines we have of Jesus preaching in the Gospels and the outlines of 1 John and 1 Peter, who are both apostles who were with him at the time. So that's, that's where I got this from. Okay? And I apologize, we're what, one verse into what I said we'd study today? So, um, I, I, anybody have any questions? You look thoughtful, Brad. You always look thoughtful. Okay, okay. All righty. So, when Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were troubled and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Um, they were not being fed spiritually. These are villages where there are synagogues and they were not being fed. And what happens when people are not being fed by God's word, by the means of grace, by regular preaching of law and gospel. Well, um, first, some people remain within their churches out of the sense of loyalty. 
They're mature enough maybe to grasp salvation from the lessons being read apart from the confusing preaching that they have to listen to. That happens. Um, uh, some of you know that my dad um, became a Methodist um, and uh, for uh, various reasons. Uh, 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 anybody not know that about me? Did you not know that about me? Okay. Um, and uh, at the, about the same time that my sister became Catholic and my brother became Baptist. So this happened. My mom died. To, it's kind of a consolidation, but my mother passed away and then the family kind of blew up. And really, partly to see whether I was still Lutheran, I went to Northwestern College. That's part of the underlying reason for why I went to Northwestern was just to study doctrine. Nobody else in my family seems to believe this anymore. What do I believe? And uh, what did I discover? Not only do I believe it, but I'm going to stand on it and I'm going to teach it and preach it. You know, so there. That's where I ended up. Um, but I am going to tell you a story about my, uh, my poor father's church. Uh, for a while, they had uh, a minister who very clearly was not preparing uh, to preach every week. Um, she would show up on Sunday morning with her steaming cup of coffee. And then when it came time for the talk, as she would call it, she would never go to the altar or to the, to the, to the pulpit. She would sit on the, on the day at the carpeted dais in front of their altar in their little, their little church and sit down as it looked for all the world like she was hanging out on the couch in her living room. She had a way of kind of spreading herself out, you know, on there. And she would, you know, hold up her coffee and uh, with no notes or anything, she would just say, well, this morning in the paper I read. And it always seemed like she was getting her sermons out of page one of that day's Wisconsin State Journal. Um, and that's what, and, and usually the sermons were, can you guess how many minutes? <laughs> what did you say? Maybe 30 I said nine. <laughs> oh, like six. Yeah. Yeah, about the length of two hymns. That's always how dad described it. You know, we could have sung two hymns and have been still going when she was done preaching, you know. And, 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 and sometimes in my head I was, you know. So, uh, uh, um, but that people just not being fed, but staying there because they know that in the scripture lessons at least, there's the word of God. God bless those people for staying with it. You don't want people to have to do that but sometimes they do. Um, some drift away from church altogether. Those are often those who I, uh, I think of as having what I have come to call a first article faith. Um, if you think of your faith in terms of the Apostles' Creed, first article is about creation and God the Father. Second article is all about Christ and what he's done. Third article is about the Holy Spirit. Some people end up as kind of first article Christians. They spend Sunday morning out in the woods or out on the lake. They're hunting, they're fishing, they're trapping, they're hiking. They're out in nature, partly because they're not being fed the gospel in their church or they don't think they are. And they want to just worship God in their own way, they'll often say. And they end up just worshiping basically the creation. Why? Because creation doesn't lie to me. Uh, a preacher 
can read from the newspaper or, an, or, or, or Newsweek or something and not give us anything valuable. But nature, at least, does display the glories of God and the wonders of God. But it's not a second article folk, focused faith. You know, the, the problem with, uh, with uh, uh, the natural knowledge of God, which is what nature tells us, is it tells us that there is a God. It tells us that God hates sin. It tells us that there is a hell, that God must punish sin in some way. Um, but it doesn't tell us who God is. Remember the two questions? Who is God? What has he done for us? First article faith doesn't cover those things. Then there are those who have what I'll call a third article faith. Those are those who go seeking other churches or other religions. A third article faith gravitates toward the Holy Spirit as if I'm kind of done with that Jesus stuff. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit because they begin to think in their heads the God the Father church is the Old Testament. The Jesus church is the church of Jesus' time. And now today we're more progressive, so let's talk about the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit going to do for me? How does the Holy Spirit work in my life? What, what special miracles can I do that the Holy Spirit gives? Especially, can I speak in jibber-jabber, in tongues? Yeah. Um, however, if they would read their scriptures, where is the Holy Spirit speaking? Well, in the epistles. And what do all the epistles all focus on? Christ. Uh, a, third, a true third article faith is a second article faith. A true first article faith is a second article faith. I don't mean that we uphold the second article at the cost of the others, but faith must, at its center, be about Christ and what he's done for us. Um, so those who go dabbling in other, church, other denominations, other religions, end up with some other feeling about, an incorrect feeling about the Holy Spirit, for one thing. The one thing that the, the, the Pentecostal, the, the Baptist, and the others who want to speak in tongues, the Foursquare Gospel folks and so forth, the one thing that they do is ignore what the Holy Spirit says. Quite an irony when they want to be all about the Holy Spirit. They do not listen to what the Spirit says. Um, they want to put words into his mouth and therefore get some message of their own, but they're not listening to what the Spirit says. And then some might break away to form a new church. That can happen. Um, many of you have heard of the phenomenon of non-denominational churches. We've all kind of bumped into them from time to time. Um, I'm going to... Ezra, I do not want to pick on you, but I do want to know what you just said. Were you asking about a church in town? A non-denominational church? That's a really good observation. That's why I wanted to share it, because I've never heard you say anything that wasn't worth myself contemplating. Um, he's a very bright young man. Um, uh, non-denominational. I, 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 for one thing... Um, I have two suspicions about non-denominational churches, and I don't know which one is right. But I do know that every non-denominational preacher I've ever met and talked with has been trained by the Baptists. 
either from Fuller Theological Seminary. Fuller is in, Aaron, do you know, is it Texas or something like that? That, like Dallas, that sounds right to me, like Fuller. Dave, do you know? I, I, um, I'm, I'm not sure about Fuller, but uh, is, uh, oh, I see a phone out. <laughs> Unless you're doing Candy Crush back there, which is okay, Sarah. Fuller? Either Los Angeles, or but I think it's Pasadena. It is California. Okay, alrighty. Pasadena isn't that where Johnny Carson used to? Never mind. Anyway, uh, no, that was another. That was another. Not Culver City. Where was where was Johnny? In uh, Burbank. That was it. Burbank. Um, anyhow, um, so most most, uh, if not all non-denominational preachers are preaching Baptist theology. Either that means that they've broken away from the Baptists to just decide that they don't want to have denominations anymore, but they all agree that they're Baptist in theology, which is a quirky thing, like why would you do that? Or could it be this, and I'm just, just hear me out, I don't want to start a conspiracy, although it's a conspiracy theory, and that is that the Baptists have decided to create, to, to, to double their numbers by sending out Baptist preachers who don't say that they're Baptist. They're like crypto-Baptists, um, which is non-denominational. You know. And then that, but now that's become a trend, and there are other, now other non-denominational preachers, and when they kind of Google how do I become a non-denominational, it, it sends them to the fuller system of how do you become a preacher in a non-denominational church? Well, you do these things and here's a list of our teachings and or what are the typical teachings and you end up, without even knowing it, oh, I, I guess I'm Baptist. Mark? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, in fact, the, uh, the vetting process for Baptists to find new preachers is more vicious than many companies use to find their new CEO. You really have to produce an excellent DVD to make it, to, to be able to break through the system and get hired because it isn't a call system at all. It's a hired system of becoming a Baptist preacher on um, yeah. Well, let's continue with our four verses. And uh, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a lot to do. There's not many to do the work. Um, there are different reasons for this. Uh, I'm not sure if, 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 if uh, we necessarily um, have a, had a problem at the time, but certainly the big boom of Wells preachers was during the mid-1960s to mid-1970s, the biggest push. Um, is there a reason why that might have been? It was the baby boom, yeah. There, sometimes people snidely say, well, they wanted to get out of the draft. But a lot of guys didn't get out of the draft. They went, you know, and some Wells pastors went. You know, Pastor Schwark, who served in Cortland for many years, went as 
uh, chaplain um, uh, to, uh, to Vietnam um, and so forth. But it was the baby boom getting a lot of preachers into the pulpits and now um, that has, uh, it's, it's what, come down and now it's beginning to come back up again? We rounded the, uh, it's, it, it may, it's not going to even out ever, but it's at least coming back up again. But it is, uh, in my father-in-law's generation, he paid, I think, less than $100 a year for his education in the 1950s um, and uh, as a Wells pastor. Uh, just MVL's tuition this year, by the way, I verified all, four, all five of these numbers this morning with, by calling all of these places and one parent. Um, so MVL tuition is about, if your child is not involved in band or choir or chargeliers or uh, any sports or the musical, and some parents have a child who's involved in all of those. But if you, uh, the basic uh, tuition is about $7,000. Does that jibe, Spike family, with what you're used to at MVL about? Um, for prep, tuition in room, 12000 The number is 12345. Verified this morning. That's their cost. If you're not involved in any extracurriculars, that's a year at prep. Um, that includes the meal program. MLC... Tuition room without extracurriculars is twenty four thousand. It's actually twenty three seven or something, but I just rounded twenty four thousand. Um, uh, I'm about to have two students at MLC. This is beyond what I make in a year. Two of those, you know, it's pricey. I'm not. I'm not whining, but it's scary, you know. And seminary, I'm going to have four years of that in my family is 22,000. I verified that this morning with uh, a really nice lady at the SEM. I'm forgetting, is it Charlotte? I'm forgetting her first name. Um, anyway, uh, uh, just a little bit less than MLC, but fewer professors. You know, MLC has a considerable staff and the seminary has a much smaller staff. Um, but that's also room, of course, room and board uh, per year. So the cost of a pastor who didn't go to prep but went to like MVL, Area Lutheran High School instead, $190,000 for the 12 years. Um, you know, that's pricey. And for my father-in-law to basically poo-poo that, saying, oh, I only had paid 100 bucks a year, you know. Well, okay, Dad, but <laughs> your grandchildren are going to have to pay a lot, lot, lot more than that. Um, you know, uh, 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 more than 10,000 times that number. And uh, uh, so there is, we have a congregational partners program. There are, there are scholarship funds to give to, but it's hard for families to afford that. You know, it really is, it's difficult. And there's a lot of work to do though. And not many are there to do the work. We also need uh, elementary school teachers, high school teachers. There's a desperate need for principals because nobody wants to be a principal. I sometimes think it's the most thankless job in the synod. You know, because who, who loves to yell at a principal? Everybody who loves to yell at a, at, a, at, a, at a ref, right? It's, you know, it's almost all of us. And, uh, and, then, uh, and then 
you get two preschool teachers who, because they're so overused, many preschool teachers are expected to continue all summer without a break. So they've studied for four or five years. And how long do they last in the ministry before they burn out and quit? Two or three? It's a terrible attrition rate with preschool teachers being basically overused, I hesitate to even say abused, by their schools. They're asked to do too much. Um, and who can possibly do that kind of work who's, you know, no longer in their 20s? You know, to keep up with them. We're blessed with Heidi, you know, and, and a few others, but, but um, we're, it's a unique situation. We've got to be careful with how we treat our teachers, too. You know, we have to be careful. Mark? Well, of course they are. But using them gets you the right insurance and liability and all kinds of, and maybe meal program and all kinds of other things as well. And a lot of churches prefer it and virtually demand it. It's something we have to be caref careful of and which our district presidents have begun to have a good talking to with some calling bodies out there about how they're treating their preschool teachers. All right. We're almost to the end of the four verses here. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out workers into his harvest. Um, we do need the workers. We need the people. There's also been, uh, I, I don't know, um, Mrs. Spike, have you maybe heard about this? There's been talk about a different educational um, degree program for not exactly preschool teachers, but preschool aides or something like that. Like a two-year program rather than a four-year program. Um, I've kind of heard rumblings about that too, but I'm not sure about it. It might get us more teachers and people to come in who'd be willing to do it as like a second career or something along those lines. In general? Okay. okay. Yeah. Do, do we offer a teaching degree in our synod through WLC? They're not certified. Okay, so, but they would, they would come, as my wife did, come to MLC to do certification programs in the summer or something like that. Kath had classes with Lyle Lang for a couple years to try and get synod certified. Um, and then she did that thing that some women do and she married a guy and never finished. But um, she was three credits away. Wah, wah. Sorry. All right. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.